hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to a Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Stephen, hello. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? I am having a rip-roaring time watching the Green Death Review. Now, I love it anyway. I love you. Bring those two things together. I'm having a blast. What about you? Um, it's fantastic. I've got a slightly sore throat, so I might cough my guts up halfway through, but that's not surprising given that there's pollution all over the fields, maggots oh. everywhere. Oh. It couldn't possibly get any worse, could it, Joe? Oh, you did that well, I've got to say. And a husky voice is very sexy as well. So um, <laughs> our listenership will go up tenfold. The huskier your voice goes. They'll be like, husky voice. Oh, there's someone really sexy sounding on a hamster with a blunt pen knife this week. <laughs> Husky voice is good. Um, throaty cough. Mm, I don't think that's quite so popular, is it? Not really. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you a question before we go in. Yep. And that is, I would like you to summarise, please, in less than a minute, what has occurred to date in the Green Death, just to make sure you've been paying attention. Well, there was a fellow who was quite bright green, apparently, and dead, and was right up the Doctor's street, so the Brigadier went down to Wales, while the Doctor went to Metabelis 3. In the meantime, Joe decided that she didn't actually want to go with the Doctor to Metabelis 3, she wanted to go down to Wales, because she was worried about the environmental pollution and wanted to see what was going on with the whole real community, where she met Cliff Jones, and she immediately fell in love with Cliff Jones after knocking over all his equipment, and then she went down the mine to see what was going on, because nobody else was taking any action, and she got trapped down the mine, and the Doctor rescued her, and then they had to squeeze past some maggots, and then they came out of the mine and then they had a big argument with uh, all the people who ran the global chemicals company who were destroying the environment. Uh, the Brigadier then uh, got some people in to help. White Gates has turned out to be a traitor. Oh, no, not yet. That's not happening yet. White Gates has turned out to be a spy for the ministry. Uh, Jeremy Thorpe was involved. And the Doctor has uh, since uh, gone through various shenanigans to find out that the whole operation is being run by the boss and he's a computer and he's all around you. That was terrifyingly succinct. And I'm sure that did your voice no good whatsoever. <laughs> I think I only lost track about two or three times. I mean, there's been, been, been some terrible announcers on Doctor Who, but I swear to God, they could just have you every week recapping to that point in less than a minute. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so uh, where do we end? Oh, God, I keep forgetting the cliffhangers. The Doctor went up to the room. Oh, yes. And. The computer said, I'm the boss. I'm, I'm all around you. And that's a fabulous bit of computer design. All, all 1970s spinning tapes. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Spinning... It's, uh, it's all from... Oh, actually, let's go into it, then we'll talk okay. about it, shall we? Oh, okay. Yep. Our count is in, then. In five, four, three, two, one. Uh, let's go. Let's spinning go tape technology was hot in the 70s, you know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, magnetic tapes. Oh, have you seen? Um, was it Captain America: Winter Soldier? Would it surprise you if I said no? No, probably not. There is a marvelous bit in that in the middle, though, where they have uh, in the Second World War. Uh, so they have an artificial intelligence based on somebody's mind. They've captured all his mind, but they've done it on like five thousand tape-to-tape reels. And there's a screen showing his face, but it's all just, you see all these tapes going around, which is supposed to be his, his memory and his mind and stuff. That's really cool. But that um, anyway, it's nothing to do with Doctor Who. Well, do you know uh, what, though? Sort of Have you seen Doomwatch? I've seen a couple of Doomwatches. Uh, it's too scary. Have you seen Blake Seven? 
I've definitely seen Blake 7. Have you seen The Avengers? Yes, I have seen the oh, both kinds of Avengers. Okay. Oh, cool. So, spinning tape technology, because I swear to God, they're borrowing all the same props. It's very <laughs> popular in all these shows. Uh, I made my own spinning tape for um, for my toy photography. Uh, I'll have to get that out and show it to you. Oh, have you? What? What you made like a computer with spinning tape reels? I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Stephen, I, I thought I, I couldn't love you more, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was based very closely on the ones from Underworld. Uh, oh, <laughs> my God. But I, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be, that means it's high tech, doesn't it? Yeah, yes. Spinning tape reels were computers for the future. And, you know, each one of those tape reels holds uh, about one megabyte of information, Whoa. which is like more information than you'd ever need. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> But God, this is a fun idea. The uh, the the, vis the way it's visualised via the what's it called polygraph talk. Yeah. John and John Durr being super charming and silly. Yeah, it all just works really well together, doesn't it? I think I, the the only thing down on it is I think the red is the red on the oscilloscope sort of really sort of washed out and it should be a nice bright red. Yeah. But it. it it looks kind of because it's on a yellow, I think, CSO backdrop. It comes a bit brown. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm picking, picking bits there. I mean, this is incredibly Star Trek. This the Doctor trying to, to a fox, uh, you know, a great computer. That's what Kirk did every other week, wasn't it? Oh yeah, but um, I think he does this next year with the City of the Exelons. Is that he gives it a logical problem like this, um, and and it kills it. So obviously that's not as advanced as. Um, yeah, what the Exelon's built is okay. not as advanced as what we built. I've got to tell you, right, what he says in a minute, the, the, the brain teaser, I've been saying that to people for the last 20 years. You know, the, what is it, um, if the last thing I said is a lie, but the next thing I say is the truth, would you believe me? Yeah. Because it's circular logic and there's no answer. Man, watching people trying to figure that one out is amazing. Uh, well, it's not like the riddle of the Osirens, where there is a correct answer, where you've got one Osiren who lies, and right. one who tells the truth, and you can only ask one question, and you've got to ask the right question to get the button right. But this is a bit more fun, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, this is a lot. More. Especially when he's like, he's... "It is not logical. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense." Like, <laughs> I will work it out. I will. I will. Oh God, I do that. I, I was doing that at work with a particularly difficult Excel spreadsheet. Oh, no. Go I will work it out. You were doing your best boss. Tell me there was no one else around. Oh, no, I'm working from home now. Oh, fine. okay. Oh, uh, uh. yeah, but I've got a thing now. Because I've worked from home three days a week and I'm in the office two days a week. And sometimes I'm in the office and I, I just put my headphones on. And um, I got told off for talking to myself. Uh, <laughs> If I'm at home, you talk to yourself. Sometimes I find, Steve, you know, when you talk to yourself, it's the most sense you're ever going to get from a person. Exactly. That's what you tell them, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> There's Joe Grant in full romantic mode with the wind blowing her hair out of her face like a Timothy <laughs> advert. Yeah, talk about, um, you know, your 1950s Bridget Bardo kind of hero. She's, uh, she's really selling it there with the big... She's gone up. Wearing the big feathers yeah. to go and get a maggot. No, nothing practical. Her lovely little red Wellingtons. Only Joe would head up a slag heap dressed like a supermodel. Um, did you notice there that the um, the location budget has run out and we're now doing location scenes in front of CSO? Yes. Uh, they run out of time, apparently, to film those. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, 
it, it doesn't work. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. But you know, what, I've, I think I've seen worse, like <laughs> less convincing CSO. Uh, I, I tell you, one character I would have liked to have met during the Thirteen Era that would have been really interesting. The Rani. And that's jo- Joe's mum. Oh my god! I bet she was batshit crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine? And do you know who the player? I say I say this actress for everything now. Miriam Margulies. <laughs> oh, well, you need maybe. someone who's a bit eccentric. Go on, Ed. You, you, you cast Joe's mum. Joe's mum. So you need someone who's very mumsy from the 1970s. Somebody who's who's very. Uh, it's got to be blonde. Um, mm. ooh, ooh, no, I'm stuck. Oh, that one oh. from The Good Life. It was in Unicorn and the Wasp. What about her? Yeah, she'd be great with Felicity Kendall. Oh, and you could have uh, Margot, what's her name? Penelope Keith as Mike Yates' mother. <laughs> yep, that works. Uh, and, the, and the only person I just thought of, I don't know why it came to my head, um, that could play Joe's mum is Honor Blackman. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Because she'd kind of like be slightly, she'd be slightly authoritarian. And yeah, I, I just want to know who makes all Joe's pack lunches. I'm oh, sorry, you've got me on this now. Who'd be playing Benton's mum? We need someone, someone <laughs> a bit working class with a fag hanging out of her mouth, you know. Somehow, I think Benton's parents are the couple from the Time Monster, Stu and, oh. and his, his woman, because <laughs> they had baby Benton, didn't they? I'm sure Moffat could write a timey wimey story where that's possible. <laughs> It all comes my round God. again. You're my parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're my real parents. That would have been a better ending to that story than than John Levine not wearing any clothes, wouldn't it? Oh Lord. Yeah. Oh Lord. Okay. Have you ever met John uh, Levine? Um, I must have done. Yes. The thing that strikes you when you meet John Levine is how big his face is. <laughs> Oh, I did not know where that sentence was going. Um, what do you mean, how big his face? No, is? he's just—he's just got a big, a big personality, and he's got—he's—I don't know—just got a big face. I, I mean, I'm not going to go into them now, but I've heard many eclectic, eccentric tales about John Levine. <laughs> I think everyone who's met him have, uh, has. He is—he's—he's um, he's a white character, isn't he? As we go, Pat Gorman. Sorry. Sure, I'm. I'm. You know what? That they should be blowing up these maggots. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. They just ate a bit of sludge. Um. Yeah, but also it doesn't do anything, and it's not. I mean, it's the brigadier's answer to everything, isn't it? Blow, blow it, blow it up. up. Yeah. And uh, and you can see the ineffectiveness of here because it just spreads the maggots across the landscape. They all survive. Did you see? And that? the only people it hurts is Cliff. That enormous somersault Cliff just did. Yeah. That must have been a hell not of an bad. explosion. <laughs> He's a stunt man as well. Joe's oh, in luck no. there. That's usually what happens when men meet me, you know, they end up <laughs> flying backwards <laughs> in shock. <laughs> yeah, and then they have to uh, stay in bed for three weeks with the green slime growing up their arms. Oh, well, you know, that, that's the un- unfortunate consequence for the night with me. <laughs> oh, no, okay, yeah, that, look, I'm seeing a, a lot of fringing going on here now. <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I, Baronets, well, I don't know, I mean, like, how else could they, they could have, like, been in their, like, van, perhaps, that might have been more effective, or, or in a control room, I think, oh, I love the Doctor just doing sums while they're trying to brainwash him, and you just think casually he looks like he's at the hairdressers? 
you think he looks like he's having a short back and sides, you know? Or <laughs> well, he's probably a bit, you know, because putting on a headset like that when you got big boofy hair is just going to leave a big like dent in it, isn't it? I imagine John Pertwee now at the end of what his fourth season, mm-hmm. uh, he feels established enough in the role to actually chill out a bit and start enjoying himself. You know, like I know he in his first couple of seasons he was just like, no, I want to be a serious actor. You know, I yeah. want to deliver as much as Roger Delgado and all the others. Um, mm. And you know, you know what he's like in uh, season eight. He's a bit of a prat, isn't he? Throughout season eight. But I, at the same time as that, he's also, you know, he's heartbroken when Katie leaves, isn't he? And he must be aware of that coming up at this point. But he's still jolly. Do you remember the story about um, the first time they went to the bar? Him and Liz Sladen went to the bar and he turns yeah. around and says, what do you want, Katie? And then he burst into tears in front of like the whole crew, and Liz Sladen was like, "What the hell do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just something he's got to work through, hasn't he? Um, I find that last season so interesting because I think he reacts to Elizabeth Sladen so differently to how he reacts to Katie Manning, and yet I think mm. it's as good a dynamic. And I know that's not a popular opinion. <laughs> Well, but then they can bring back Sladen for the five doctors and pair her with John Pertwee, and it works, and it's fine. And dimensions when, in time. And dimensions in time. And, well, I mean, you can always bring Liz Sladen back, she's just bloody marvellous. Um, but, yeah, they do, I don't know, it, it, it's just, because I've seen these stories since I was a kid, it's hard to spot what the differences are. Um, it just works. It's just, you know, they've got enough chemistry. I couldn't tell you why it was, so, uh, well, Sarah's a bit more serious than Katie. Yeah. And she is a stronger character in that she will go, but then Katie went off and uh, she's more competent. That's it. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, I think Katie was just as proactive, but yeah. she made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, she nearly killed everyone in her first story by bringing the bomb back from the mo- But then the master hypnotised her and he'd done that to anyone through, I don't know. But as many times as you're going, you know, yeah, go on, Joe, you're kind of going, oh, Joe, no, what are you doing? You know? Whereas with yeah. Sarah, especially in season 11, like yeah. she's there, she's driving those stories. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's, um, oh, uh, by the way, Joe, um, does your uh, does your workplace have a uh, a dungeon for torturing people? No, but my home does. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, well. If, if you do a lot of working from home, it's probably the same difference, isn't it? Uh, I I agree, though. It is a strange room to have in Global Chemicals. Global Chemicals is a bit of a. I mean, it, it is set up as an evil villain company, isn't it? It's got all the. It, you know, this this could be um, a seventies Avengers setting. I think Global Chemicals. It would be way more eccentric in the Avengers, but you know the evil corporation that Steed yeah. and Mrs. Peel come to investigate. I can see that happening. Uh, you could have all the same actors, couldn't you? Yeah. You could have the computer controlling it all. It is, yeah, it is really Avengers, isn't it? Watching the Avengers and Blake Seven and all that is basically just watching a roll call of Doctor Who actors, isn't it? Or just or the same pool of actors. Oh, and I love it. I love spotting actors from other things in um, uh, in Doctor Who and, and in other shows as well. 
I like seeing the diverse team, what they can do. And what's interesting with, with some actors, they essentially just always play the same part, whether they're in Doctor Who, The Avengers, Blake Seven, you know. What's the name? What's, yeah. what's Igrorian's name from uh, John Sabadon? He's John just Sabadon, playing the yeah. same character in every bloody show, isn't he? Oh, uh, yeah, but his character in Blake Seven is a lot uh, more sexually terrifying than anything else. Serverland, don't leave me! <laughs> yeah, give it all you've got. Oh, and this is Kirby <laughs> being a dynamic man of action and running through a gasworks. Oh, and this is the best thing ever. He drives the milk float too fast and everything falls off. Escape by co-op milk float. Fabulous. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's it's not exactly Ocean's Eleven. This is definitely a Doctor Who escape attempt. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, what a waste of milk. Yeah, oh, I spilled all over the road. Oh, I'll tell you, uh, milk is one of the worst. Uh, so if you have, like, if you have, so if you have a traffic accident and a milk container goes over, it's one of the worst things to spill on the road because milk is uh, corrosive and it smells and it actually eats the road oh, in a wow. way. It, it okay. actually makes it so you have to just dig the hole up and resurface it if you spill milk on the surface of the road. Are you telling me that in a story about pollution that Pertwee is polluting the road with the worst thing he possibly could? Oh, well, roads are a form of pollution, aren't they? Uh, oh, well, that's true, yeah. Oh, now here's another thing. Um, so roads and cars and the prevalence of cars in our society. Um, Effectively, what you what we've built with roads and with the amount people use their cars, it's like having a river of death outside your door. Because you couldn't go and stand in the middle of the road for a few hours, you know, you'd get run over. It's crazy. Um, and we totally rely on our cars. And that brings many benefits, but it also brings a lot of problems. And what I said to you earlier about got... convenience culture, isn't it? Is that we can't yeah. be asked to bloody walk. Yeah, and at some point we're going to have to dial back from that, and I don't think we've worked out how we're going to do it. Um, you know how every um, you know Victorian drama has the clip clop of horses and carts. Hmm. What, what was wrong with that? Uh, they're slow. Oh, uh, there was that thing about um, in Victorian London. They kind of assumed that uh, oh, they worked it out. They said that. By the, by the year 1910, London will be so full of horses that it will be, there'll be like 50 million horses and the horse manure will be eight feet deep and it will be a total disaster because London's just such an expanding city. I mean, it was a, it was a nonsense calculation because it was never going to come to pass, but it goes to show what people worry about and, um, okay. and how that concern didn't happen. Going back to what I was saying to you earlier, was all those areas where people weren't going out in cars anymore, the mm. the, uh, the skies were clearing, you know? The pollution, it wasn't gone, but it mm. was starting to clear, you know? Yeah, well, you don't realise how much of the, how much, how much of the clouds in the sky are from airplane contrails until they stop. Um, and that happened when that, oh, there was that volcano that went off in Iceland and they stopped oh, all the yeah. aircraft for a couple of weeks. And the sky's yes. cleared up and just think, oh, that's weird. Isn't Stephen, it? I worked for an airline when that happened. I was the one <laughs> taking the calls from people that weren't flying. <laughs> oh, you were in the right place at the right time, Jesus, weren't you? It was, that was a distressing couple of weeks, I'm telling you. 
Oh my god, are we heading into the come on get your lovely little dindins? <laughs> oh, they haven't worked out what kills them yet. Oh, oh no, that's in episode six, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I, um, at this point, the maggots are an unstoppable, terrifying threat because they've used everything they can against them and they are just not. It, and once you've got the green death, you're dead. Yeah. You know, no one survived that. It's, uh, it's really good way of building up the drama it's almost it? a shame right because you know how in 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 like web of fear and in invasion of the dinosaurs and that but you know they have all these menaces in recognizable places. it's almost a shame that they're kind of contained to a slag heap because they imagine the, the maggots in central london my god the fun you could have with that oh, oh my uh, yeah so imagine like the maggots just got into the sewage system <gasps> and they were coming yes. out of people's toilets and oh just my god! The streets, how terrifying that! I mean, that's your Yeti on the loo too. How the fuck did they not do a maggot coming up the loo? That would have been amazing. <laughs> I I don't think they really thought about toilets much at all when they were no, doing Doctor Who this time period, and it's it? a mistake. It's a shame. Although there was an episode of the X Files, right, where yeah. the the threat turned out to be possessed cats, right? But you didn't realise until this fab- fabulously terrible sequence near the end of the episode where all these cats are literally there's like a jumping toilet and these cats just come <laughs> bursting up out of the loo <laughs> oh what uh, oh this is mike yates's first sign of defection isn't it yeah because he's been taken uh this is where his brain gets messed up so he's been taken over by the boss he's been processed process him process him um yeah i don't think he looks very convincing with that gun you know but he's always subject to mind control and possession and domination by the will of another person, which is uh, it could be taken as really pervy as well, couldn't it? <laughs> well, could you me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear the brigadier then? He just he can't bear the thought that Mike Yates is taking instructions from anybody else. He's like, instructions from who? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're my bitch. Oh, you obey me, oh, no one Steve. else. I'm sorry, I, I can't resist. The doctor's just like, I'm going to take something out of my pocket now, and I want you to look at it. Yeah, Sai always says, it will clear the neural pathways of your mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, a lovely Once, blue jewel. Joe, stare into that crystal, stare into that crystal, okay. and you will not want to do a double entendre ever again. Okay, I don't think, anyone, I don't think anyone's, no one's going to listen to this podcast anymore then, but all right. I'm oh. Gonna go. right. oh, shit. No, no, look away. Look no, away, Joe. No, no. <laughs> My mind is clearing. Okay. Actually, do you know what? Okay. I, I, I am a, a, a firm believer in meditation. I meditate myself, like, daily. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in some of the New Age methods. I, I think they are very good for providing emotional stability. Um, I don't know how much it's working. You've heard this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I uh, well, I think as we grow and develop, we hope to develop some emotional stability in our lives. Um, so I think meditation is fantastic. I think people don't spend enough time thinking about their lives or thinking about the way they behave. Um, and our society kind of encourages you not to do that, particularly now there's a distraction in your hand oh, almost the all the time in your yeah. mobile phone. And weirdly um, enough, you know, if I don't meditate in a day, it's because my phone yeah. has distracted me all day for whatever reason. <laughs> because you've, you've got some of these, you've gone viral on Twitter because you've got 200 likes or something like that. You know what? I don't really put much endorsement in likes. 
Okay. No, you shouldn't. You should. I always say, don't don't invest your self esteem in the number of likes you get on uh, social media. The, literally, the endorsement I get from this podcast is the fun that I have with the guest. And with you, you with you, that is meteoric fun. Hey, excellent. Yes. Well, I hope it's a lot of fun with other people as well. And I think it's the variety of people that makes it particularly interesting. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. getting all the different. The tone is very different depending on who's on, you know, and, and the way the conversation, the direction it goes in. And oh, now yeah, I'm becoming yeah. very self-indulgent talking about yes. the podcast on the podcast. Welcome to Hamster with a Blood Penknife. And tonight we're talking about Hamster with a Blood Penknife. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Um, anyway, so I, one other thing I wanted to say about that scene is that sometimes, okay, so I don't meditate, but sometimes when I have difficulty getting to sleep, one of the things I have done in the past, so I don't do it so much now because I tend to just fall asleep really quickly now, um, is I imagined staring into the Metabelis crystal and just focusing on that single point. And it, it helped me get to it helped me, it helps clear your mind. You know, just think about that point of the crystal and the blue light flashing. That's, uh, try not to think of Mike Yates. Well, no, none of us try to think about that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lovely mission, you know. Um, and it's less about you see, you about contemplating your life, but actually, the sort of the meditation I do is more um, about focusing on now, like the moment you're yeah. in now. So basically, you're supposed to think about nothing because you're doing nothing and mm. clearing your head of the past and the future and just thinking about the moment you're in. Man, oh man, that takes some time to learn that skill. Uh, there's a, um, a Roald Dahl short story. And I think it's called The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar about a man who develops meditative skills and he wants to learn sort of like the ultimate meditation skills. And he goes to sort of like the, the biggest guru in the world. And this guy's like, he's very rich, he's a total shit, and he just wanted it, just wanted the ability to cheat at cards. You know, he wanted to be able to see on the other side of the card and to win loads of card games. Um, but through the meditation and through the process he has to go to, he becomes a better person and he doesn't want to do that anymore by the end. Uh, I think there might be some more twists than that because it's Roald Dahl, so it's bound to be a bit twisty. But it's really, it was really interesting, really interesting that story. He's got such a dark, sick sense of humour, hasn't he, Roald Dahl? I love his books. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, um, oh, there's jolly old Mike Yates chumming it up there with Roy Skelton. And what's he got in his pocket? He's got he's got his own metabilius crystal. Ah, uh, metabilis. 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 There we go. All the Metab way from metabolis free. That's Matt Smith said. <laughs> One word. That entire episode. I know. I know. And he could have recorded that into his phone. They could have posted that on afterwards. Honest to God. Anyway, I don't want to be that fan. No. That was. Did you see the effects there? Uh, the way yeah. it was kind of bleached out blue, the, the yeah. flashing coming in and out, the effects on his face. Um, simple, but effective. Yeah, it works, it works exceptionally well, doesn't it? It, it just looks great. And you, you, it, it gives you sort of the impression of being in that moment. So, so I think that's really good. This is a bit of an underwhelming cliffhanger. Hang on, I can't even remember what it is. What's it, coming up? It's is him it, saying, like it's... you can't trust anyone, can you, Mr Yates? <laughs> and that's a shame, like because we've had four really good cliffhangers before this. It must have been an editing issue or something, because that's not, you know, no one could have planned to end the episode there. 
Because um, who cares if Mike Yates is in danger? I know. Well, we should have just come back to Cliff, Cliff Jones and somebody say, oh, no, I think he's going to die. Yeah, there we go. That would do, wouldn't it? So you, 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 you've just rewritten that in five seconds better than this. Uh, but you know what, though? Some Doctor Who stories have no decent cliffhangers. Four out of five. That's not a bad yeah. average, right? And oh, God, the end of part six, you know. Oh, my word. A very different kind of cliffhanger. Um, so I want you to watch out for something in episode six. And it's again talking about special effects. And it's the mm-hmm. moment where Stevens sacrifices himself. Yep. And, and I want you to just count for me the levels of special effects that are going over that. Because there's about five levels of special effects. Um, and again, it shows just what an experimental director Michael E. Bright was because it's fucking weird i'm telling you we got some damn good people working on this one it's a classic it is a classic <laughs> 